Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. It is my deep conviction that the church is the most important institution in the world. I believe that without God, everything is lost. Our selfishness is going to destroy this world. And the church is the most important institution in the world. Now, beyond that point, as a pastor, it is my duty to nourish the church and to feed the church. That's my business. Now, in order to guide the church, I must not only know the Bible, but I must also know the history of the church. I must understand the problems the church has had. And I must be able to diagnose the church's needs that I may then provide for her help. Now, what do I mean when I say the church? Now, I use the word church in its broadest sense. I'm going to use the word church in, in that it's the church is the gathering of all who name Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now with that as an introduction, let's go a little step further. Now, not too many people know very much about the history of the church. So you remember that the Bible closes at about the year 100, but the church goes on since that time. The church has gone on now what, 2,000 years. And then within these 2,000 years, they've been pretty stormy. We all remember that the first 300 years were very rough. Christians were thrown to the lions. They were burned at the stake. They were hated and despised and hunted like animals for some 300 years. Now, in the transit of the church over these 2,000 years of time, the church has absorbed into itself out of the various cultures and religions with which it has made contact with. It has absorbed teachings, practices, observances, beliefs. These have crept into the church. Now, some of these teachings and practices have nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity. And we must look at these. We must face them bravely. It's not easy. But on today's program, I want to bring some information to your attention, not to throw stones, but out of my concern, concern for the church and concern for the members of the church who unconsciously are believing something to be a defense of the Christian faith when it is indefensible. Now, these changes did not happen in a day. Some of them took centuries to come in, from the Apostle Paul to Peter, from John, and they were given visions of the history. Now, not too often do we deal with the prophecies concerning the church. I want to bring some of them to your attention today, and I pray that you will find them quite enlightening. Now, we're going to turn to the book of Acts and what I believe to be the most impassioned sermon that the Apostle Paul ever preached. He's preaching to a gathering of Christian leaders. It's a momentous occasion. He will never see them again. This is, in essence, his farewell message. It's found in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. Watch yourselves and the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as supervisors to shepherd God's church, which he obtained with the death of his own son. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and won't spare the flock. 
Some of your own people will distort the word in order to lure followers after them. There would be an attack, Paul says. The attack would be from within the church, from within its walls, that false teachings and teachers would come and they would attempt to destroy the church from within. That prediction is clear enough. Now, all we have to do then is to go back in history and compare what the apostles said would take place with what actually occurred and put these side by side and we will see what happened. Now, not only did the Apostle Paul warn against the attack, but the Apostle John warned in his very little epistle there in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist was there in the days of the apostles. It was already there. Now, sometimes we get the idea that the Antichrist is some individual who just before the return of Jesus would arise and all the world will be deceived by him. And that is true, but the spirit of the Antichrist was there in the days of the apostles and they could see it. They could see the undermining of the church. The spirit of the Antichrist, in fact, has been in the world and in the church all along. And when the Antichrist comes, many will believe that the Antichrist is Christ himself. And it will be virtually impossible to persuade them otherwise. Everyone in the world will be deceived except the elect. Now, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, said it this way. He gave us another clue. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, this is not talking about a temple made of stone, not talking about a new building there in Jerusalem. He's talking about the coming of the man of sin within the church itself. There is not the slightest doubt that the church would be attacked. Nineteen centuries ago, when Jesus came into the world, the world was overwhelmingly pagan. They were, there were only a few out in the land that we call Palestine that were holding to the worship of the true God out of the whole world. Now, Jesus comes and he becomes a reformer. Reformers are never very welcome. He comes along and he says, hey, your religion has gone astray. Now, nobody likes to be told that their church has gone wrong. But that's what he was telling them, and this made them angry. And they replied, how dare you say that? So now they must either accept the testimony of Jesus that they have strayed away from the truth of God. They have to believe him and accept him as a reformer or, well, they must attack him and silence his voice. Now, what were the basic issues here that Jesus was addressing? Matthew chapter 15 
verses 3 and verse 6. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He said, you make the commandment of God have no effect because of your tradition. That commandment has been completely repudiated, he says, by your practice. Now, that practice may be deep and long-seated, but that doesn't make it right. Now, what else did he say? He said something further that was even more shocking. And this, well, this was not particularly designed to make them like him. Matthew 15 and verse 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You see, they were worshiping, but God did not accept their worship. Why? Because instead of the worship being conducted according to the commandments of God, the worship was being conducted according to the teachings and the commandments of men. That's what Jesus said there in verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Our only safety is in the commandments of God, to worship the way God says to worship. That's what Jesus said. This was the point of the collision. Now, why would they remain loyal to their tradition and silence Jesus rather than accept the reform that he was introducing? Well, the reason was they said, we have the gospel of Abraham. We know that God led Moses. And what's good enough for Moses is good enough for us. You see, they got locked into their loyalty to these men. The leaders of the past were so great that they could not accept this man. They said, who is this fellow? He's just some unlearned carpenter from Nazareth. Who is he? Now, what was Jesus doing? He was teaching, and his teaching was with the purpose of cleansing the church of all of its false concepts to cleanse it of its traditions and to put God's truth back upon the throne. And he was crucified because he called their teaching and their practices into question. Now, how many of them believed what he said? Well, those of you that know the Bible will remember that when Jesus died, there was one man, his name was John, and there were three women, all named Mary. Mary, Mary his mother, Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Salome. Now, some say, well, if Jesus had had the truth, he would have seen overwhelming success. Everybody would have believed it. You see, it's a measurement in terms of human numbers determining truth, but but numbers don't determine truth, do they? We are aware of the stories historically of how the early church was not welcome in the world. The scenes of the martyrs are very familiar. And the church was attacked from outside, but it didn't work. You know, it seemed that the more the Christians died, the more the, the church grew. It was completely upside down. I mean, you start killing people and that movement is going to die, but it didn't die. Do you know why? You see, the pagan world hated death. Death was feared by the pagans. Now, here was a group of people that could look a lion in the eye and never even flinch. 
Here was a group of people with such principles that they wouldn't even offer a pinch of incense on Caesar's altar. Here was a group of people who would allow themselves to be burned to death because they had no fear of death. And the people would say, well, what is the source of the strength of these people? And they said, because our leader is alive. He holds the power over death. And so in the power of that story, the greatest story ever told, the Christian church moved across the face of the world. And the lions of Rome and the fires could not stamp it out. Now, when the devil discovered that he could not destroy the church from outside, he took to step two. He said, we couldn't destroy it by persecution, so we'll begin slowly trying to destroy the church from within. And the compromise began. You see, there was a dramatic change in the history of the church at the time of the conversion of Constantine. Constantine was a pagan. His mother was a Christian. And she finally prevailed upon her son that just before she died, he was baptized. She prevailed upon her son to call off the dogs. In other words, stop this persecution of the Christians. I'm a Christian. And in response to the appeal of his mother, Constantine stopped the persecution. He legalized the church. Well, because the church was an illegal institution, so he had to legalize it. But the result of the legalization of the church and the emperor joining the church was that there was a great influx of unconverted into the church. In other words, the world began to convert the church rather than the church converting the world. Now, not only did the church change in its political structure, but it also changed in its doctrines and worship and thoughts and theology. I'm going to bring a few of these things now to your attention as to how the church changed religiously. You see, just like in the days of Jesus, a problem centralized itself around the commandments of God. Now, the commandment of God had said, and this is the second commandment, you can read it there in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. Look at what it says. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now that was the second commandment, but what happened now? Well, now that the church had hundreds of thousands of people in it, they needed places of worship because the pagans had temples. The Christians gathered in homes. Now, there were all these empty temples because these people had come out of paganism into the church. So it was decided that the pagan temples should one by one become Christian churches. Well, the first day as a Christian people walked in and they looked around this pagan temple, remembering the commandment of God about the images, they said, well, what are we going to do with all these images? Well, if you start throwing religious objects out in the street, that's not exactly inclined to make friends. So they left them. And they changed their names. You 
see, the Christian church did not bring the statues into the church. They moved into the buildings where the statues were. And to avoid offending the people who had been worshiping there all their lives, they merely changed the names of the images and went on with the service. Now let's go a step further. At the same time as the images were accepted, the church came over to the observance of Sunday. In the year 321, the Emperor Constantine made a law requiring the observance of Sunday. Now, why did he do this? Now, Constantine could see that the Roman Empire was beginning to crumble. He wanted to do everything that he could to cement it all together. He felt that if he could unify the practice of everybody in the empire around the common day of rest of worship, that this would help the empire to hold together a while longer. Constantine was a very astute administrator. Under this condition, it was inevitable that someone would say, well, why don't we come back to the truth of the Bible? And then the Reformation began. But what caused the Reformation was the invention of the printing press. That was, inv that was involved in the Reformation. The first book printed on the printing press was the Bible. And now the people could look at the Bible and they could look at the church. And they could look at the church and look at the Bible. And they could say that the teachings of the church and the teachings of the Bible were not the same. And then they had to decide. Shall we follow the Bible? Or should we follow the church? And that's an anguishing decision, whether it's 500 years ago or whether it's today. The anguishing decision is whether to follow the Word of God or follow the traditions of the church. So what was the message of the Reformation? Well, it was a return to the purity of the teaching of the Word of God. Luther stood up in Germany and said, I will follow the Bible no matter what happens. I mean, I wish we would all say that today. God has had his agents across time in all countries. God raised up a man by the name of Martin Luther. And he began to preach the word of God. And the past practices and the false doctrines were forsaken. As he held up the fact that we're saved by our faith in the Lord alone, the power of this was magnanimous. It was tremendous as those words stood out right across the country, right across the face of Germany. God raised up a man, John Calvin. Calvin began to preach the Bible. And from John Calvin's teaching has come what we call today the Christian Reformed Church. While from Martin Luther came the Lutheran Church. What was the origin of these denominations? In Scotland was a man by the name of John Knox. He went down to Geneva, spent three or four years there with John Calvin because they were threatening his life in Scotland. But he went back to Scotland and he was preaching in the English language, which with a Scottish birth gave him the right. But he began to preach the Bible in old Scotland. And the Presbyterian Church was born in Scotland, was brought into the existence in the power of the Word of God. In Switzerland, a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli, who restored the Lord's Supper. God raised up the Baptist Church. 
because the word of God said immersion is the only way of baptism. In England, God raised up a man by the name of John Wesley, and Wesley was God's man. The Wesleyan movement in England was a movement under God that God brought the Methodist church into being, as he did the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Baptists, brought them all into being, but he never intended that they would all go their separate ways. It was God's intention that they should all rally around the word of God. You see, the flaw in each of these movements was the same flaw that had come with the rejection of the Lord Jesus. We have our Abraham for our father. We have Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. And now they began to draw a magic circle around their men. And when the, the great leaders died, their churches would go no further than what their man went. You see, today I can say, hey, I'm like a Lutheran because I believe that we are saved by faith and faith alone. I'm like a Baptist. I believe in only one form of baptism, and that's by immersion. I'm like a Presbyterian because I believe the Bible, the Bible alone to be the holy word of God. I am like a Methodist because I believe in the kind of holy living that John Wesley was teaching. I am an Adventist because Jesus taught that his second coming is the only solution to the world's problem. And I am a Sabbath keeper because Jesus kept the Sabbath. And because I cannot accommodate myself to the traditions of men that conflict with the sacred commandments of God. You see, when you step out of harmony with a movement whose time has come, you may face the lions. John Wesley preached in a foundry and in a field when his own church called him out. His own church, his own church condemned Luther to die. It takes courage to step out. The blood of the martyrs wets the soil of the centuries only because in loyalty to God. And we cannot, we will not, at the cost of our lives, compromise. It takes faith to do it. But when it does, and you take that step, you will find that Jesus will go with you all the way to the end. In his name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the conviction that you placed on the hearts of so many that as the apostles said, we are to obey God rather than men. Father, I pray that you call out all those that have placed you and your word in first place. I pray that you bless each and every person that has said, we, we stand with the word of God above the traditions of men. Watch over us, protect us, use us in a mighty way to spread your truth throughout this universe. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. On each and every broadcast, we'd like to make a resource available to you that will uh, help you in your better understanding of God's Word. You know, we talked today about the importance of placing God's word above the traditions of men. So we want to encourage you and 
to study and to better ground yourself in what is truth so you can be protected from deception. Uh, we have today for our special offer this uh, special edition of the what they call the mini signs of the Times magazine. It is entitled, Are These the End Times? I'd love to send you this little magazine as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. There's no obligation whatsoever on your part. You're not going to receive an invoice. It is a gift from us. And we offer it, as I said earlier, with the, with the intent that when you receive it, you will read it and you will further study to better understand some of the things that we've been, we've been talking about because we all individually need to come to our own understanding of these things. And so I want to make this available to you. If you're interested in receiving this mini signs, pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. I want to thank you for joining us here. We appreciate uh, your faithfulness and tuning in each and every time. We appreciate that very much. Before we go, just a couple of things I want to make you aware of or remind you of. One is the website, l4ltv.com. The website is a great resource for further study and for additional materials. All of the previous programs are available through the website under the previous programs tab. You can click that there and it'll take you all the way back to our first season. And uh, there's uh, links there. It'll take you to our YouTube channel. You can watch every one of those programs. You can share them with your friends and with your family. On the website, we also have some resources for your study. We have uh, under the tab, archived sermons. We have some presentations I did uh, just a while ago in Edmonton. And uh, there's a handout that goes with that and you can download that and you can study the, you can watch the video and answer the questions. And as I encouraged you earlier, just come to a better understanding of these truths. You can also make a donation if you care to our ministry. We are a charitable organization and your donation will be eligible for a uh, official receipt for income tax purposes. Social media, uh, follow me on Instagram every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. We put out a one minute devotional video. Great way to start your day off. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, like our Facebook page, our Lessons for Living Television Facebook page, subscribe to our Lessons for Living Television YouTube channel, and follow us also on SoundCloud where you'll have an audio version of today's program available for download within about half an hour. Just quickly before we go, visit also 
our missionnowcanada.com website, which is the humanitarian overseas work that we do. We have a project coming up in Paraguay that we'd love to have you join us on if you can. Check that out, missionnowcanada.com. We're all out of time. Hope to get a chance to do this next time. I hope you'll join us. We'll see you then. God bless you. Thank you.